What's up? Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Monday, July 27, 2015. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Beantown Athletics, the only in-house union screen printer in Boston. They specialize in custom uniforms and business apparel. Make sure you follow them on Twitter at Beantown underscore dot. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Beantown Athletics. And on Instagram, swing by the shop on Granite Ave in Dorchester or give them a call, 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. And make sure you tell them that I sent you. Well, uh... I was not here on Friday, and I apologize for that, but I did tell you on Thursday when I had comedian Will Noonan in studio that we would not have a show Friday. So if you were out there looking for it, then, well, if you would listen to Thursday's show, you would know that we were not going to have a show Friday. We're back here on this Monday. I was on WEEI all weekend long. I did a marathon show yesterday on WEEI, and we gave you the Pedro Martinez Hall of Fame speech live as it happened. Uh, I was able to watch that and listen to that several times. It was a big day, not just for baseball fans, but obviously for for Red Sox fans specifically because Pedro, at least in my opinion, my favorite professional athlete of all time. You know, given any sport, any team, any city, Pedro was my guy. Uh, So it was an exciting day. I was honored to be a part of the WEI broadcast that gave you the Pedro Martinez audio. Um, So I don't want to go all Pedro... Hall of Fame on you on today's show because we did a whole lot of that yesterday and even on Saturday night on WEEI. Uh, but just, I, I guess quickly, if you if you want my best Pedro moment, it's the 99 ALDS, Game 5. He comes out of the bullpen, gives you six shutout innings, shuts down the Indians, didn't even have his best stuff. That was my favorite moment. Uh, really just my best memory, though, of Pedro is... Being in the building for any one of his thoughts, it was an electric atmosphere. We will never see, at least in my opinion, we will never see anybody to provide that type of electricity and to be that type of main event. It was an event when Pedro Martinez was on the mound, whether it was at Fenway or in somebody else's building, but I'm talking more specifically at Fenway because those are the games that I was at as a fan in standing room uh, watching Pedro pitch. And not just pitch, but dominate. And uh, he is in—he is now officially a Hall of Famer. And you know, it, it brings us into the discussion of, well, who's the next guy to go in? You know, who's who? Who's not the next major leaguer, but you know, the next Red Sox player to go in to the Hall of Fame. And you know, a guy last night by the name of David Ortiz crushed two home runs, had a career-high seven RBI in a in an eleven to one win over the Detroit Tigers at Fenway. It was on ESPN. Of course, all day long we were paying attention to the Pedro Martinez stuff, going into the Hall of Fame. It was easy to forget that the Red Sox, while they were 12 games out of first place in the AL East, it was easy to forget that they actually had a game last night against the Tigers because, let's face it, the Red Sox, the games that they play right now, uh, the only meaning that you have with it is either seeing what maybe some young kids uh, can do Right? What they'll what they'll become like an Eduardo Rodriguez. Can he bounce back from tipping his pitches once again? He did that last night. Eduardo Rodriguez once again, very good. Uh, gets the win. Gave you seven innings. Allowed three hits. Only one run. Struck out six. Walked only one. Threw 95 pitches. 
Um, Eduardo Rodriguez, once again, very good. A, 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 should we call it dominant? Well, put it this way. What Eddie Rodriguez has been able to do when he goes out and does perform well is he's been able to be a dominant pitcher, right? He's, a, he's either been dominant or he's been tipping his pitches and he's been really bad. So uh, for the most part, though, Eddie Rodriguez has really been a, a bright spot on this Red Sox team, which is out of any type of play. They're not in any playoff race. And as the trade deadline is this Friday, this is an exciting week. Look, this is a very exciting week for baseball fans. And not just teams that are going to buy, but also teams that are going to sell. And when we look at the Red Sox and things that they can do, um, certainly we look at them and say this is a a team and an organization that absolutely 110% needs to sell the pieces that they should sell. Mike Napoli, Shane Victorino, we're hearing that the Pittsburgh Pirates have interest in those guys. And I do think there'll be a team or two with some interest. So I do think you'll make some type of trade. I get that the trade value isn't very high, though Napoli last night, two for four um, in this game. And, you know, he did have two RBI as well. He's raised his batting average to 209. He's having, Napoli's having a terrible season. But I do think there's a team out there that's in a playoff race that's going to say to themselves, hey, this guy could put a couple balls in the seats in the playoffs for us. And, and if we can get him on the cheap, right, not have to give up too much, you know, let's take a chance. I do think there's a team that would say that. And with Shane Victorino, certainly you still got some health concerns there, but he's a veteran that's been there before on a championship team. So I even think there would be somebody that would have interest in him as well. And, we're, and what we're reading, the reports that we're seeing, maybe the Pittsburgh Pirates are that team. Who knows? Maybe there's another team. But last night, the Red Sox win 11-1 as they finish this series with the Tigers. They stay at home. They play against the White Sox this week at home and then at home this weekend again against the Tampa Bay Rays. But we should be done looking at the standings because even with even taking two of three, right, from the Tigers over the weekend, you still find yourself 12, game, 12 games out of first place with the rest of the division in front of you. This season is over. But you look at last night, David Ortiz, you think of the Hall of Fame, Pedro Martinez and his induction speech, which was awesome. Just to see that moment was great. David Ortiz, will he get into the Hall of Fame? Will he? I mean, I think he will. But certainly you will have your voters, and we see this now with certain guys. If there's any sort of cloud of suspicion over the head of any former major league player, that, that then you're going to get a lot of voters who are not going to put him into the hall. You will. And, and I think the way I would handle it if I had a vote, now I don't have a vote, but the way I would handle it is I would have to look at it as an error. I would. I think eventually a guy like Clemens is going to get in. I would put Clemens in. I think eventually a guy like Barry Bonds is going to get in. Now, Maguire, I think, is a different is a different case because, let's face it, outside of the years that he had the home run races and all that, Maguire didn't put up Hall of Fame numbers much like guys like Clemens and Bonds did in the years before they were linked to PED use, right? Because if you want to go by the timeline, let's just say a guy like Roger Clemens. If you want to go to the Clemens timeline and when, you know, he, I guess you could say, I will say unofficially began to take steroids. There were a whole lot of successful seasons that Clemens had in which he won Cy Youngs. 
uh, you know, led the league in strikeouts, ERA, I mean, 20-win seasons with the Red Sox because the timeline for Clemens taking PEDs was when he went to Toronto. You could look at Clemens' career just with the Red Sox alone, what, 12, 13 seasons, and you could say Clemens put up Hall of Fame numbers just in Boston alone. So I think because of that stuff, Clemens gets in, and I think you could say the same with Bonds and his career before the timeline for PED use began based on accusations uh, or alleged use. I think those guys get in. I mean, I would put them in. And the thing with David Ortiz, you know, he was on this list, right? And he's denied, he's denied, he's denied. He says he's looking for answers. He never was able to get them. Um, I don't know. I mean, I just don't know. And, and I think the question mark there, just because maybe there's – uh, a, a list that he's on with a positive test that he's linked to. There's just more questions than there are answers. I still look at it like this. You know, the guys that were crushing baseballs during any time in which we looked at major league plays and said they were using steroids, they were crushing baseballs off of pitchers who were also using steroids. And the same things for the pitchers that have success. They were getting guys out who were on steroids. And we also, with when we look around the league, major leagues, minor leagues, and see guys test positive for certain stuff, you know, it's not always they test positive for anabolic steroids or they test positive for HGH. There are guys that have tested for things that are just on the list of substances that you cannot take. Doesn't And, and sure, they're performance enhancing, but they're not always anabolic steroids or human growth hormone, which are the top two ones that we look at, right? And even guys that are on these lists and who have been um, accused or have been caught, there have been guys who have been caught taking PEDs that can't even sniff the major leagues, couldn't even get out of the minor leagues. So there are examples that tell me just because you're on something, it doesn't guarantee you success. And it especially doesn't guarantee that even if you have success, it doesn't guarantee Hall of Fame numbers. David Ortiz has Hall of Fame numbers. I'm not going to say that any type of potential or alleged performance-enhancing drug use guaranteed him Hall of Fame numbers. I'm not. So, uh, we saw what Ortiz did last night. I think it's a conversation to have down the road because clearly he's still playing. I think it's a conversation to have when he retires. He's not retiring yet. And um, I, I don't know that I want to make this out to be, well, who goes in next, Right? This, is a, this weekend was about Pedro Martinez. This was about his fantastic Major League Baseball career. And for people in Boston, like myself, who grew up adoring this guy, you know, just going to Fenway, loving every single moment that he pitched in a Red Sox uniform, you know, you wake up on the mornings in which you know he was going to be on the mound later that night, you knew it. You know, you talk to friends about it. You know, when you got tickets to a game, you, the first question you asked was, is Pedro going to be pitching? And you counted it out, you know, in your head. Well, when did Pedro pitch last, and will he be pitching when I have tickets? You know, and, and when he was pitching, you made an, an attempt to go to that game at Fenway because it was an event. It wasn't just a start for a major league pitcher. It was an event. And I don't know that we're ever going to – in fact, I do know. We're never going to see a guy that steps on the mound again that has that type of electricity, that provides that type of electricity. Not – that we'll never see a guy who's dominant again because we've already seen it since Pedro. I mean, Josh Beckett was dominant in 2007. He was dominant with the Red Sox for a, a number of years. 
But that doesn't mean he provided the same type of electricity that Pedro Martinez provided. He didn't. So it's all of the factors combined. We'll never see another guy like Pedro. At least, I don't think we will. So congratulations to Pedro Martinez. It was an exciting weekend to see him inducted into the Hall of Fame. But now when we do move on and we talk about the Red Sox and what they are right now, well, I think the conversation of what the Red Sox are right now has a whole lot to do with what the Red Sox will be in 2016. Because what they are right now is an organization that should be looking ahead. They should be looking ahead to 2016. This is no longer about 2015. And I hope that the Red Sox handle it that way. And I think they will, right? As much as maybe people don't like some of the moves Ben Sherrington and the front office and the ownership has made in recent years, let's, let's give them some credit here. Uh, I think they're smart enough to know that this season is over. Now, over the weekend, and yesterday specifically, and I, it did come out Saturday night, Nick Cafato of the Boston Globe wrote a piece and wrote his Sunday Notes column, which again came out Saturday night, and I talked about it on WEI and mentioned it a little bit yesterday on WEI as well, which was a story about, you know, potential trade partners and potential starting pitches that were available. And the lead to this was really Johnny Cueto. You know, um, at least the headline on Saturday night was, John, the Red Sox are one of a handful of teams that are all in on Johnny Cueto. And I'm sure that Nick Cafato was told this by some very good sources in Major League Baseball. And you know what? Those sources are probably right. I mean, what they heard, the Red Sox being all in, perhaps the Red Sox were. Because perhaps the Red Sox thought that they could get a window to maybe negotiate some type of contract extension talk with Johnny Cueto. And if you could do that, okay, then you should be in on Johnny Cueto. But I just never thought the Red Sox would be in on that. On that. And if Cueto was going to just be a rental, it just wouldn't make sense for the Red Sox. So the report was on Saturday night that they were all in. Late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, we see that Johnny Cueto's traded to the Kansas City Royals. And, you know, the trade, actually Cueto pitched Saturday night. He says he was told Saturday before his start Saturday night that he was getting traded. And, I mean, I'm sure he knew he was going to get moved, but uh, just to actually hear someone tell him that, that he got moved before it was official, he goes out and still pitched a gem on Saturday night. Cueto's going to the Royals, um, and in the deal, the Cincinnati Reds get three minor league pitches, three lefty pitches, and the Reds also get some money from... Uh, excuse me, the, the Reds sent money to the Royals in order to help pay for the rest of Cueto's contract this season. And, of course, Cueto will be a free agent, so it looks like that'll just strictly be a rental. But also, you know, so so look, Nick, he wrote that the Red Sox were in. Uh, it turns out the Royals were the team to get him. But Nick Cafato also mentioned something in the story that, that got me excited. And it's about a name that I've been spitting out here for not just this year, but also last year. I mean, I've been talking about Sonny Gray for a long time. If you've listened to me, you know that I love him. You know that I'm willing to give up um, a whole lot to bring him, to put him in a Red Sox uniform, to bring him to Boston. You know, kid in his mid-20s, you know, throws in the, in the mid-90s, has electric stuff. Sonny Gray, someone I want to see the Red Sox be all in on. But it's not the type of trade 
that would happen before Friday, the non-waiver day trade deadline, the non-waiver trade deadline is this Friday, that's not a move that would be made before this Friday. But if you want to begin conversation now, so be it. According to Nick Cafato of the Boston Globe, the Red Sox have been in talks and had conversations with the Oakland A's for Sonny Gray. Now, again, I don't think this is something that happens before Friday's non-waiver trade deadline. But I do think this is, a, this is a conversation that you start now, if you're Ben Sherrington, and you revisit in December, in January, at the winter meetings, at the GM meetings, wherever, owners meetings, wherever you want to talk about this again. Get those conversations started right now. And for the people that yell and scream and tweet me and say, Sonny Gray isn't available because he's a controllable pitcher. Well, you need to look into that a little bit more. Because Sonny Gray is arbitration eligible after next season. And what that means is, based on his age and the years of service and the success that he's had, Sonny Gray is going to get paid. Okay? And Oakland knows that. And what we know about the Oakland A's is that they usually don't pay those guys. Right? They don't. If they wanted to, I got news for you. They would have one heck of a start in rotation. Based, of the, based on the rotation that they had last year going into that wild card game that they lost. Which, if they won that wild card game last year, Oakland, in my opinion, would have won the World Series. Based on their rotation and how dominant it was. But they didn't bring Lester back. They didn't bring Samaja back. Guy they had traded for. Um, you know, they, they didn't. And you look at a guy like, like Kazmir, now a, a Houston Astro. Right? So... I know you say, well, Sonny Gray is one of the, you know, he's their only guy left out of the group, and he's their stud. They won't move him. Hey, when, when he's arbitration eligible and he's going to get paid after next season, if you're a team like the Red Sox and you could possibly talk them into making the move a year early and saying, hey, we'll overwhelm you right now, knowing that when other teams begin to have leverage next season, knowing that you won't pay him, you're not going to get this type of deal next year. So make it now. I, I, I love to hear that the Red Sox have actually had conversations with the Oakland A's about Sonny Gray. Because it tells me that at least while this Red Sox team sucks this season, and while Ben Sherrington has made some major mistakes with the talent that he's provided with this Red Sox rotation, it tells me that at least he's on the right track. And when I say on the right track, and I continue to read this report from Nick Cafato, I also see that he says the Red Sox are in conversations or have had conversations with the New York Mets. And you know what? That brings me to a trade topic and a trade idea that I brought up on WEEI over the weekend. And it's a trade that, that I started thinking about because, I, like I said, I live my life playing the role of imaginary Red Sox GM. And if I have to do things between now and Friday... You know, forget about the moves that they make in the offseason. And again, any potential move for a stud starting pitcher like Sonny Gray, that is a move that is going to happen this winter. It's not going to happen before Friday. But if you're going to make moves before Friday, for a guy that you think is available before Friday and will get moved and will definitely get moved, then you should do everything you can to try and make that move now. And if you're the Red Sox, and you're having conversations with the Mets, I certainly hope 
that you're talking about one of the Mets' pitches. Now, here's what I know about the Mets, okay? The New York Mets in the NL East are two games behind the Washington Nationals. That's where they stand in the NL East standings. In the NL wildcard race, the Mets are three and a half games out of the wildcard. They got the Pirates, the Giants, and the Cubs ahead of them. Right, and it looks like that's going to be a four-team race for the wild card for for the wild card game, okay? Um, so there's there's an opportunity there for the Mets. There's also an opportunity, as I mentioned, in their division, only two games behind the Nationals. Now, the Mets need hitting. They desperately need hitting. They are not going to move Matt Harvey. They are not going to move Jacob Degrom. They are not going to move Syndergaard. They're not going to move those guys. Those are their top, those are their three pitches that they're not going to move. But a report over the weekend from Fox Sports' Ken Rosenthal has said that the Mets have been shopping Zach Wheeler. Now, Zach Wheeler, mid in his mid-20s, big right-handed pitcher. He is a power arm. He has an overpowering fastball in the mid-90s that I've seen him throw anywhere from 95 even to 97 miles per hour. He throws four pitches all with some very good movement. And this is the type of guy that in his very short major league and very you know young major league career has had some success. But he is now recovering from Tommy John surgery. And, and because he's recovering from Tommy John and he won't be ready to pitch again until maybe the middle of next season, I think if you're a team like the Red Sox that isn't going for it right now, but is still looking to improve your rotation with some young, controllable pitching, I think you can look at a team like the Mets that need a hitter, that need hitting, and have enough pitching right now to win, That and they're shopping a guy like Zach Wheeler. I think this is a perfect guy for the Red Sox to try to acquire before Friday. Because the report was that the Mets, who were looking for hitting, were talking with the Padres about possibly trading for Justin Upton. Justin Upton, who's going to be a free agent after this season. He's an outfielder. He can hit. The Mets are looking for hitting. And they were possibly thinking about moving Zach Wheeler to make that trade. Now, that trade never went down. Could it go down? It possibly could. But it's intriguing to me, as someone who plays the role of imaginary Red Sox GM, it's awfully intriguing to me to look at a guy like Zach Wheeler and look at my team, the Red Sox, and say, wow. Would love to add this guy to my rotation at some point next season, okay? At some point next season. And because he's recovering from Tommy John, we might not have to give up the whole farm system to go get him. Like, this might be, we might be able to get an absolute steal here. And for the people out there that say, well, I mean, he's recovering from Tommy John, that's pretty serious. I mean, come on. If you're paying attention to guys who have Tommy John surgery, you should know that Tommy John in 2015 is the type of surgery that that major league pitchers almost look forward to just getting out of the way. Like, hey, let me just get Tommy John out of the way now, and then I'll throw two miles per hour faster when I return, okay? Look at Jose Fernandez. I mean, the guy was throwing 94, 95. He's up to 96 regularly, fastball. He's gained Miles per hour on his fastball. So, and he isn't the first guy to have that situation. Look, Tommy John surgery is not an end of the world, end of career, career ending surgery. It's not. In fact, it's almost the complete opposite. It almost it makes it even more intriguing to me 
to go get a guy who just had Tommy John. As crazy as that might sound. But Zach Wheeler is one of these young kids that has overpowering stuff that I would love to see in a Red Sox uniform. And if he's being shopped around because the Mets need a hitter, here's what you need to do if you're Ben Sherrington. You need to go out and get him. Okay? So here's my trade proposal. And, and you know what? It could happen with multiple teams. But I have one specific team that's in mind. Because the Detroit Tigers, word on the street, is that the Tigers, who are 11, 11 and a half games out of the AL Central lead behind the Royals and the Twins. Now, the Twins are seven and a half games out of first and second place. The Tigers in third place, two games under five hundred. Uh, 11 and a half games behind the Royals. And we know from the Royals, they just got better because they added Johnny Cueto from minor leaguers. And also, don't forget, and I told you this was going to happen, Yordano Ventura was sent down to the minor leagues last week. He had to get called right up immediately. And, and he got sent down to the minor leagues because he was struggling. Yordano Ventura. Yes, the same Yordano Ventura that, that dazzled last season for the Royals. Ventura struggled this season in the first half. And he was, he was sent down to the minor leagues last week. Because Jason Vargas comes off the DL and gets injured. See, Ventura was sent down to make room for Vargas, who was coming off the DL. Vargas gets injured in his first start back. Elbow injury. Out for the season. You can then call Ventura up, which they did right away. Ventura pitched yesterday against the Houston Astros, who are one game out of the race for the AL West, one game behind the Angels. And by the way, the Houston Astros, you know what they did? This is how confident they are in making the playoffs. Not just after acquiring a guy like Kazmir, but here's how confident the Astros are. Taylor Swift is supposed to be performing in Houston, in their ballpark in October. But because the Astros think they're going to have a home playoff game in October, they have pushed Taylor Swift up an entire month. Taylor Swift will now be performing in September while the Astros are on the road. So that's how confident the Astros organization is that they're going to have not, you know, they're going to have a home playoff game. They're going to be in the playoffs. That's what, they, that's what they're expecting. And uh, you know what Yodano Ventura did to them? You know what he did to them? Yesterday, Yodano Ventura was nasty yesterday. And he went out and he gave you the type of performance against the Astros, and he beat Dallas Keuchel. He one-upped Dallas Keuchel. Keuchel is Houston's guy on the mound. He's their ace. So Ventura, and the numbers show in the second half, Ventura responds, and he's much more dominant than he is in the first half. So the Royals, not only did they add Johnny Cueto, it's almost as if they also added Yordano Ventura. And that is something that, if, especially now if you're the Tigers and you say you're 11 and a half back, you absolutely have no shot. Now, I don't think they had a shot anyways, but there absolutely is no shot. And the word on the street is the Tigers are going to sell. Not just David Price, who's in a contract here, but also Yoannis Cespedes. Yoannis Cespedes, right? He's in a contract here as well. Tigers are not going to re-sign him, probably not. Cespedes is going to hit the free agent market. He's going to take the best deal available. And uh, he is the type of hitter that the Mets, it, it looks like, it sounds like, based on the conversations they've had with the Padres to get Justin Upton, possibly for Zach Wheeler, it's the type of hitter, rental hitter, that the Mets are looking for. 
And if I'm the Red Sox, and if I'm Ben Sherrington, I have to be on the phone with the Mets and the Tigers, and I have to try and work out a three-team deal, a three-way trade. And I have to say, look, Mets, here's what you want. You want a rental hitter? We'll get you your rental hitter. Yoannis Cespedes is coming to New York. What we're going to do is we're going to take Zach Wheeler off your hands. Okay? We're going to get you your hitter in Cespedes, your rental hitter. We're going to take Zach Wheeler off your hands. And what we're going to do is we're going to send out some prospects. Maybe to both of you guys. Definitely to the Tigers. Maybe to you. But you know what? If you want us to add Mike Napoli on top of this, or maybe a veteran in Shane Victorino, we could do that too. We could make that move as well and sweeten the pot. Right? Because we need, we're going to get rid of these guys. And I got news for you. The Pittsburgh Pirates are coming after Napoli and Victorino. Okay? Um, so, if you're the Mets and you're looking at wildcard, hey, guess what? Pirates are ahead of you in that race. So, what's, what's it going to be here? What do you want? Do you want a hitter? We can get you your hitter. Now, if you're the Tigers, you could say, well, why will the Tigers make that move? Well, because if you're the Tigers and you're going to trade Cespedes, you're going to trade them for prospects anyways. So why not get some prospects off the organization, which we keep reading about, has the top farm system in the, in the majors, or one of the top farm systems in the majors, in the Boston Red Sox. And in fact, the guy who's the Tigers' all-star shortstop was again, you know, he was a former Red Sox prospect. So the Tigers know what they're getting here. They know what they're dealing with. And I'm not saying that you even have to give up a top prospect. You could give up, a, 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 I, I think probably in that move, a couple secondary prospects. Right? And to me, that would be the perfect trade scenario going into Friday's non-waiver trade deadline for the Red Sox. Now, to add pitching that's going to be ready at the beginning of next year, that's, those are moves that you talk about in the offseason. Those are moves that you get done in the winter. Not between now and Friday. Not between Monday and July 27th, and Friday, July 31st. No. The type of move you make is the creative trade to get Zach Wheeler in a Red Sox uniform by the middle of next season. And to do it by getting the third team involved to get the Mets, the hitter, that they so much covet right now as a potential playoff team that has all the pitching in the world but does not have any hitting. And if you're the Mets and you can add a bat like Cespedes for the rest of this season while holding on to Javi, holding on to Syndergaard, holding on to DeGrom, guess what? You have absolutely made a major move, and it's almost a steal for you. Yes, you're giving up Zach Wheeler, but he's not pitching this season, and he's not pitching the first half of next season. And if you're the Mets, you've got to look at right now. What their pitching staff is is a pitching staff that if you get into the playoffs, absolutely can make noise. And they would be one of the scarier teams in the postseason if the Mets can get in. But I think the only way they can get in is if they get some offense here down the stretch. So if I'm the Red Sox, if I'm Ben Sherrington, I need to do everything I can first and foremost to, to, to get a three-way trade going. Get involved, right? You have to have your eyes set, your sights set on a pitcher that you know is available if you can find the Mets a hitter. So what Ben Sherrington should be doing between now and Friday is doing everything he can to find a way to get the Mets a hitter that will land Zach Wheeler to the Red Sox, that will send Wheeler to the Red Sox. That's what he should be doing. And if he's not, in my opinion, he's not doing his job. Not doing his job. And if you're a Major League Baseball organization that's looking for a GM, 
I'm I'm ready. I'm I'm ready to do it. I'm I, I'm ready to uh to sign on the dotted line because that's what I'd be doing right now. If I'm a major league team that is not going to the playoffs this year, I think you'd be nuts to not be trying to help a team like the Mets. Get a third team involved. Say to the Tigers, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna give you all we're gonna give you this to get Cespedes and we're gonna ship Cespedes to the Mets. That's what we're going to do. And the Mets are going to give us Zach Wheeler. And even if we have to maybe give a little bit more to the Mets as well, we're willing to do that, right? That is the type of move the Red Sox should be looking to make. And then you get into the winter. Then you revisit the conversation with the, with the Oakland A's for Sonny Gray. Then maybe you talk to the Indians about Carlos Carrasco. You know, then maybe you entertain the idea of signing one of these free agent pitchers like a David Price, who knows, like a Cueto, Right? I mean, these are all options for you. But the fact that you would be able to have a guy like Zach Wheeler thrown into your rotation by the middle of next year, that would be like a trade acquisition for the middle of next season. A team that, look, if you can do something to this Red Sox pitching staff this offseason, and you know what? Calling up Brian Johnson might just be one of those things long-term with that nasty curveball. Eduardo Rodriguez, Brian Johnson. You know, and you add a Zach Wheeler, and who knows, maybe you add a Sonny Gray this winter. Now we're talking, okay? Now we are dancing at Fenway. And you're back to winning again. So that's just a move that I would hope Ben Sherrington is looking to make. And it's a trade idea that I, I proposed on WEI over the weekend. And I'm not sure how many people uh, heard that. Or listen to it, but as I sit here and think and get excited about you know what could happen before Friday, I think of something like that that would get me all jacked up. And and I'd be telling you that Ben Sherrington, well, it looks like he gets it. Right? It looks like he gets it. It's about the rotation, it's about pitching. And once you figure out your rotation for next season, which is the only thing you should be doing between now and next February, next March then you figure out the hidden, right? Because I do think ultimately the offense will fall into place with the guys that you have, right? And, and when you do, don't forget about when you do move Napoli, when you do move Victorino, you open up some spots in the outfield, you open up a spot in the infield, maybe you move Hanley back to the infield, move Sandoval over to first. There are things that you can do to improve this ball club. But between now and Friday, the type of moves the Red Sox should make should be moves that will benefit 2016. And even though Zach Wheeler is a pitcher that won't be ready and fully recovered from Tommy John until the middle of next season, maybe, that would be a guy, by the time you get to the middle of next season, that would absolutely help your rotation. Okay? I mean, he's a st- I think Zach Wheeler's a stud. And if you can find a way to get the Mets a hitter right now, and maybe get the Tigers involved in a three-way deal and send them Cespedes. Who knows? Maybe there's another team out there that has a hitter, that, that they're out there dangling. That's a rental. I mean, you know, maybe you, get, maybe you talk to the Padres and you get them involved. Right? And you say, hey, San Diego, we'll send you the prospects. Let us get Zach Wheeler. I mean, maybe you do something like that. But I do think that the Tigers, they know what they're dealing with with the Red Sox. And I think that if you're Detroit, you don't want to lose Cespedes for nothing. I think you'd be willing to make that move. Send Cespedes to the Mets. Mets, as we heard, are willing to trade Wheeler to get a hitter. Wheeler comes to the Red Sox. Red Sox send some prospects out, whether it's to both uh, Detroit and New York or maybe just Detroit. And maybe you add Napoli 
to, to the match package. You say, hey, here's another bat. I know he hasn't been great this season, but you know what? Hey, he might be able to, to do some damage every once in a while against National League, National League pitching. Who knows? So, uh, that's what I'd like to see the Red Sox do. That's my trade at the deadline. I know I'm not a GM. But I'd like to think that if I was, that's the type of move that I would be going after. So, we'll keep an eye on it. This is an exciting week for baseball fans, people who get jacked up about the trade deadline. I don't know what's going to happen to Cole Hamels. They're saying that the Dodgers and the Texas Rangers are in the lead for him. Uh, the Dodgers would be nasty. Kershaw, Granky, Hamels. You know who I also think would be nasty with Hamels? The New York Yankees. And the minute that I heard that the Yankees were involved, I said to myself, Cole Hamels is going to be pitching in the Bronx next week. He will. Uh, that's just my gut feeling. I know people say Rangers, Dodgers in the lead. I just have this gut feeling that, uh, look, if you're the Phillies and you do think that the Dodgers and the Rangers are in the lead and they give you deals, you don't automatically say, sure thing, let's, you, let's make that trade. You say, hey, let me call you back. And the first thing you do is you call Brian Cashman. And you say, hey, Cash, here's what's coming to me from the Dodgers. Here's what's coming to me from the Rangers. I know and you know that you have a team that is in first place in the AL East that's going to be going to the playoffs, that's going to have a chance to win it all. But you've got to still have injury concerns about some of you guys because the history is there with them in your rotation. Um, but here's what we're going to do. We, want, we think that Cole Hamels will benefit you more than it benefits the other teams. And we're willing to take a similar package from you, if not a little bit better. Can you do a little bit better than what the Dodgers have given us? That's what the Phillies should do. And I think that's what they will do. And if they do that, and you're Brian Cashman, and you know right then and there you have an opportunity to get Cole Hamels in your rotation, I think you do it. I think you do it. I think Hamels is going to be a Yankee. I do. It's just my gut reaction. Gut feeling. But... Uh, we'll keep an eye on the trade deadline, and whatever happens, I'll break it all down this week. Here, five days a week. Uh, before I move on and close out the show, a, a couple pieces of news I need to mention. Uh, first and foremost, jumping on this show today, there is some breaking news with regards to the Olympics. Yes, it's not Deflategate-related with breaking news, though we're waiting for that as well. Um, as NFL training camps you know, begin this week, Patriots training camp begin their first official practices on Thursday. Oh, by the way, Tom Brady has already shown up. By, uh, he's shown up early, and nobody should be surprised by that. But, so the breaking news isn't Deflategate-related. It's Olympic-related. And we know here in Boston, the bid to get the Olympics, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a lot of people just yelling about traffic and MBTA and taxpayer dollars, right? And, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with it. I really don't. But I can tell you this, the news today is that Mayor Marty Walsh says that he will not sign Boston's 2024 Olympic bid as of today. Here's his quote. He says, I will not sign a document that puts $1 of taxpayer money on the line for one penny of overruns, end quote. In my opinion, this is just a threat. Does this mean it's completely off the table? Does this mean the deal to get the Olympics in Boston is completely dead? I absolutely not. It's not completely dead. Some people have maybe reacted to this right away as if it is, but you got to think that, look, the May is a politician. Uh, Boston 2024 
uh, people who, at the end of the day, are politicians, right? Everybody has an agenda here, and there are threats being made. There are situations in which people don't like the whole idea of taxpayer money and overruns. And look, what Marty Walsh is saying today, in my opinion, is just a threat. I don't think it's completely dead. So I'll let this story play out. He's just saying, if, it, if, if this thing's going to go down the way it looks as of today, I'm not signing it. So what you need to do, Boston 2024, is you need to fix it. Right? You need to fix this bid, especially when it comes to taxpayer money. Will they fix it? I have no idea. Let's wait and see before we sit here and say that the Olympic bid to Boston in 2024 is completely dead because I don't think it's completely dead. I think it's still alive, and I think this is just a threat. But we'll, we'll have to wait and see how that all plays out. But that was sort of some breaking news uh, today. And, and sure, I would rather have the breaking news be Roger Goodell is going to talk about Tom Brady's suspension and what it's going to be over the weekend. You had stories about how uh, Baltimore Ravens owner and, and Colts owners, you know, those guys, you know, Bishotti and Ursay, they were in Goodell's ear. And out of all the owners that, that had an opinion on Deflategate and on the Tom Brady ruling, it was those two owners that were most vocal to Goodell saying, hey, you know, this is this is bullshit if you take the Brady suspension and cut it down at all. So we can't have that. We can't have that. Now, Bishotti has come out since that report and said that he is not trying to convince Roger Goodell in any way, shape, or form about any decision he should make with regards to Tom Brady's suspension. I don't know who you should believe. Here's what I'll tell you. I just think it's common sense for the Colts and Ravens to be pissed if Brady, if Brady's suspension gets reduced. I mean, it's just, they're going to be pissed. They're going to be upset. And I'm sure they've said something or have tried to reach out to the, to the commissioner. I'm sure they have. I'm sure they have. They're the teams that got beat by the Patriots. You know? They obviously have bad blood. They're the ones that started this whole thing. But as ridiculous as Deflategate has been, it gets even more ridiculous today with the report, with the report that the NFL is going to document PSI levels a whole lot more than they did in the past. Beginning next season, pregame pressure readings will now be documented and there will be random halftime and postgame rechecks of the footballs, okay? Also, under these new NFL football rules, quarterbacks will still be able to prepare the footballs during the week. Also, if the ball is over or underinflated by t- between 12 and it's still going to be 12 and a half to 13 and a half psi. If any ball is over or underinflated, that ball will be put at 13 psi by the officials. So, Bottom line is this, what the NFL is doing by telling us that this season, this upcoming season, they will, they will check pregame pressure readings, they will now be documented, and there will be random halftime and postgame rechecks. What the NFL is telling us is that they are admitting to not caring about the PSI levels in previous seasons. That's what they're doing. They're admitting to us that the the officials and the league, when it comes to the PSI in a football, not only did they get it wrong, but they didn't care. And it's a point and a major issue that I've been pointing out ever since the day I sat there and had to read 
a nearly 300-page report on the air pressure in a football and text messages between Patriots locker room equipment managers. Okay? It's the first thing that jumped out at me and the biggest thing that jumped out at me in the Wells report is the way Walt Anderson handled the football, is the way that he didn't document shit. All right? It's the way that, really, the officials dating back to last regular season when they overinflated Brady's footballs did not care about the PSI levels. And with the NFL now coming out saying, well, now we're going to document it, now there will be random tests, and here's how it's going to go down. The NFL's admitting that they fucked up. And if the NFL is admitting that they fucked up and, the, and that they did not care about PSI levels in the past with any team, then Tom Brady shouldn't be suspended a single game. He shouldn't be suspended at all. And Roger Goodell, with this new rule, should come out and say, look, here's the issue. It's with our officials. Nobody cared about PSI levels, and we fucked up, and here's what we're going to do. We need to just move on. Brady's going to accept a fine. Patriots are going to take their punishments uh, for not cooperating or whatever the reason that they may have. But the bottom line is this. With this ruling that comes... Now, I was saying it before this ruling and the new NFL ball rules, but especially now. You absolutely, with that, combined with the Greg Hardy suspension getting cut down, combined with the fact that the longer we wait for Goodell to come out with a ruling the more guys get in trouble with DUIs or drugs, and they're only suspended three games. I mean, this is so stupid. I can't even believe we're still talking about it. But since we are, and since the NFL has a new rule on how they're going to handle the footballs, they're admitting to us that they never cared in the first place. And if they never cared and they never got it right, how can we sit here and punish players for doing things to the football? Things that, in my opinion, a lot of other people were too. Because nobody cared until the Ravens and the Colts did. And really, we're just upset that they got their asses kicked. Okay? So, training camp begins this week. Uh, Patriots' first official practice is on Thursday at Gillette Stadium. Tom Brady is already there. He's already there. So, it'll be good to get some football talk. I got news for you. It's going to be tough to do that as long as Roger Goodell is still sitting back waiting to release his decision on this suspension. So um, we had all that going on over the weekend. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not the biggest training camp guy. I'm more of a Major League Baseball trade deadline guy. So I, I will probably be more excited about the MLB trade deadline than I am training camp here moving forward. But that doesn't mean we completely ignore it. We'll certainly get into some of the storylines as they go down. And uh, one final story that, you know, I didn't have a show Friday, and this stuff kind of broke Friday morning. And it was devastating to me. This is a devastating story. You know I'm a big wrestling guy. I'm a big WWE guy. And look, I grew up a big Hulk Hogan guy, okay? Huge Hulk Hogan fan. The Hulkster. Hulkamaniacs. Say your prayers. Eat your vitamins. Uh, Found out Friday, as we all did, that Hulk Hogan has been fired from the WWE. Uh, He has also... The WWE has erased any piece of history that Hulk Hogan has in the business. On their website, in their video games, uh, you name it. 
anything WWE related has zero mention of anything to do with Hulk Hogan. If you didn't know Hulk Hogan and you went to the WWE website right now, Hulk Hogan does not exist. He does not exist in the WWE shop. He does not exist in the WWE videos, photos, archives. In fact, they even took Hulk Hogan out of the WWE Hall of Fame. He does not exist in the eyes of the WWE. Okay? And the reason he no longer exists in the eyes of the WWE is because they completely erased him because Hulk Hogan was caught making uh, some very awful racial comments. Racial slurs, a racial tirade, we will call it. And it's a devastating story because it's, it's disappointing that Hulk Hogan, first of all, would come out and be saying these things. Uh, second of all, we've, look, we've seen Hulk Hogan, be, he's left WWE before. He went to WCW, he even was in TNA, and he could not be on WWE, and WWE wouldn't acknowledge him, really. I mean, I guess you could, he was in the history books, it's not like they wouldn't put a picture up of him or mention his name, but, you know, he was with a different company, so he wasn't part of WWE, so we've seen that before. But, I mean, to completely erase him from the Hall of Fame, to have him gone forever, right, to have him just erased and not, them not even acknowledge him at all, that, that's, it's tough. Because he is in he is in the history of the WWE. And if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, I don't even know that we'd be sitting there talking about WWE right now. To be quite honest, there probably wouldn't be WWE.com. Who knows what it would be, if it would even exist, without this guy. So, he said some awful things. And, and the WWE, look, they needed, to make, they needed to make a stand, right? They needed to make a statement. Take a stand, make a statement. They had to. They had no choice. Hulk Hogan gave them no choice. He made some stupid, idiotic comments. He got caught. Apparently, there's, these comments are from a sex tape that, that is going to leak out soon. I don't know when, but, but WWE got their hands on the comments, and they made a quick decision to completely get rid of Hulk Hogan. I, I, honestly, they had no choice. They had to. These are stupid, idiotic comments that Hogan made, and you wish he'd never made them. Because, and I especially wish he never made him, because this was somebody that, you know, as a kid, I loved Hulk Hogan. But now you see this stuff and you, you hear this, these things coming out of his mouth and you say, what are you doing? You know, what's wrong with you? Come on. Like, now it, that's it? He's completely erased. He's no longer in the Hall of Fame. I guess the question I have is, Vince McMahon, the WWE, they do all these things for guys when they pass away. And I'm not, I'm not trying to rush Hogan's life away and, and saying I want the guy, uh, you know, now to, to, to pass away and, and to die. But when he does die, are they going to acknowledge it? Are they going to do their whole, you know, the thing that they do when wrestlers pass? And they really, they always look back at the careers and remember, guys, are they not going to acknowledge Hulk Hogan when that happens? I don't know. But it's certainly, you know, the stuff that came out of his mouth and the transcript that came out, look, I mean, you, you, you can't say that stuff. And, and if that actually is how he feels, which it seems like it, you know, it's, it's a pretty disgusting mindset. And he left the WWE with no choice. It, it's, it's just a disappointing and devastating story all around. It is. So... 
As a wrestling fan, yeah, I was devastated Friday. Not just with the words that came out of his mouth, but also with the fact that the, the, the consequences, you understand it's something the WWE had to do, but you sit back and you say, wow, he's, he, he, that's it. Hulk Hogan's done. He no longer exists. And for the entertainment value that he did provide growing up as a kid, uh, it's something that you certainly miss. And you, you, you do try to cherish those memories, but you won't be able to cherish those memories on WWE.com, I'll tell you that. Uh, what are they going to do with the network? Because really, Hulk Hogan is the main event for the first, what, nine WrestleManias? Right? First nine WrestleManias? I think WrestleMania 9, he was part of a tag team match with Brutus DeBarba Beefcake. And then at the end, right, Yokozuna versus Bret Hart. Mr. Fuji came up, and I think Bret, did, did Bret Hart have Yokozuna in a sharpshooter? And Mr. Fuji came up with the, the magic dust, and he threw it in Bret Hart's face, and that's how Yokozuna won. And Hulk Hogan was not going was, was to have this, so he came down to the ring. And he ends up, real quick, big boot, scoop slam, leg drop, you name it, the works. One, two, three, Hogan won the championship, right? I believe he won the title back. That's how I think it went down. So I guess technically you could say he was the main event at WrestleMania 9, too, even though he wasn't really supposed to be. Uh, are they just going to erase those matches from the network? Because on the network, they give you every pay-per-view. And look, if the WWE is going to be consistent with what they've been doing, erasing Hulk Hogan completely, maybe they do. I, I don't know. I don't know how they'll handle that. And I don't know how they'll handle what they do when Hulk Hogan passes away, when eventually he dies. Because they usually do some pretty cool stuff and remember the, especially the biggest names. And let's face it, there might not be a WWE without Hulk Hogan, okay? I know Vince McMahon and the McMahon family have been huge for it, but if they didn't come across the Hulkster, what are we, what type of product are we looking at today? Are we looking at a product? I don't know. Look, you can't say the things he said. You can't think the way Hulk Hogan thinks, apparently. It's disgusting. It's devastating. WWE had no choice. Uh, but there are certainly some things down the road that I'm not sure how they'll handle based on this situation right now. I don't know. Devastating news. Awful news all around. So uh, we'll keep an eye on, on how that plays out. But I'll also, for the most part, keep an eye on how the Major League Baseball trade deadline plays out and anything you know that happens between now and Friday, I'll talk about it, try to bring some baseball guests and analysts on this very show here five days a week. DannyPicard.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes, really anywhere that podcasts are available. Follow me on Twitter, at Danny Picard. Like me on Facebook, Instagram, all forms of social media. And once again, congratulations to Pedro Martinez in Cooperstown, Hall of Famer, my favorite pro athlete of all time. Very exciting day yesterday. Will David Ortiz be the next uh, to go in? Or will we be looking at Roger Clemens before him? It's a debate at some point uh, we'll have eventually. But for right now, keep our eyes on the trade deadline and NFL training camp. I'm out. See you.